0: So, if you can start teaching as soon as possible whatever it is you're trying to learn to anybody who'll listen, if no one will listen, just tell it to a rubber duck. I think that's hugely important. I, I use that a lot.
1: Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information, and the author of the book Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com where there are a wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoy this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Derek Laney. Derek is the technology evangelist for the future of work at collaboration platform Slack, having previously held a range of senior roles at Slack's parent company, Salesforce. You can find more on his work on his profile on LinkedIn and on his Twitter account, at Derek Tweets. In this episode, Derek shares insights on transcending emotional overload, openness for serendipity, balancing focus and discovery, using threads well, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Derek's great insights. Derek, it's awesome to have you on the show.
0: Hello, Ross. Great to see you again.
1: So you are now technology evangelist at Slack, having come from a a good chunk of your working career at Salesforce. So Slack is helping us, we would hope, deal with lots of information at work. So just love to pull back a little context. Obviously, the last couple of years have been pretty interesting. And, and just a, just getting a sense of where is the workplace at in terms of, amongst other things, uh, overload.
0: Yeah, like I think it's a really interesting topic, Ross. And when you reached out to me and let me know what you were doing, uh, I thought of thought of it and went, "Wow, this is like the most important thing I never knew I needed to know." And suddenly, after like unpacking this, I'm like, "Wow, how did I not spend time focused on on this as a topic for myself?" I think it's hugely important. So congratulations on the work that you're doing and the podcast and the book, I think is really valuable uh, and really plays well into, you know, what our focus as well is in terms of, you know, helping organizations, you know, build this thing called the digital HQ, which is how they they connect all of their employees at work in this digital context. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, the career, I I guess my summary is, you know, it's been 25 years or so, you know, software development, leading teams, outsourcing, uh, consulting, talking with lots and lots of businesses uh, that led me to, to Salesforce, and and then most recently to Slack, uh, which is, I feel like, very, very tied in with, with some of the topics that you're exploring as well. So uh, thank you for having us, and uh, thank you for making the time on your podcast. Uh, the way we kind of see things at the moment is that, well, for me personally, I guess, what, what brought me here, sort of pre-pandemic, uh, if we were kind of honest with ourselves, I've, I heard this quote from Alistair Simpson, who's the VP of design at Dropbox, he said, if if we were honest with ourselves, kind of work was pretty broken before the pandemic. It's just that we didn't do anything about it. And then suddenly, like we turned on all our cameras and we pointed them at our staff, uh, and then we recorded everything. And then suddenly everything two dimensionally is visible. And all this stuff that was broken uh, is now very, very much on display. And we were like, how on earth did we not solve these problems? And, you know, just like what you're talking about, a lot of this stuff has has been around for a long time. You know, Harvard Business Review in 2017 uh, had this really interesting piece of research that basically said 71% of managers agree that meetings are a complete waste of time. They're ineffective and unproductive and yet it's the primary mechanism that we try and make sense we sort of get together in a room in like a 30-minute block maybe a 60-minute block if you're lucky a little bit more and then we kind of have this really weird ceremony where we go through the process of, of trying to work together and it's, it's really not effective uh, then we got to kind of last year uh, and people are kind of really struggling You talk about the great resignation that's happening at the moment and that sort of things. And I think this is symptomatic of what you're talking about. There's this information overload, things happening in the macro environment, things happening in our world. Not only is that overload factual in terms of data and trying to figure out what's true, but also it's an emotional overload. Like if you just look at the last week or whenever you're viewing this podcast, think about what's happening in your current week. There's there's a lot going on you could care about. So how do you be intentional about your feelings and emotions as well so that you can actually pay attention to what matters for you right now rather than all of the stuff that's kind of being served up uh, as as all of the emotions of the world are kind of on the internet available for you to consume? So how do you make sense of that? So this created this sort of period that leads us into kind of where we are now where uh, I think workers in general are, are questioning why am I here? And there's there's so much going on in my world. My work now seems less important than it did before because that was that was everything I experienced. I had this nice little controlled box that I went in from nine to five, uh, and it was pretty controlled the information I was exposed to. Whereas now I'm exposed to like everything, and now my work in that context starts to make less sense. Uh, so I, I I feel like that's where workers are in a lot of places, and for most people they're focused on, well, how do I change this? How do I uh, actually make work more flexible? How do I give back control to our individual uh, people to do their best? And how do I enable them uh, to work more together? I think that's very related to the topic that you're talking about in terms of you know thriving on overload. I, I think one of the key that we're finding is flexibility, control, autonomy. These are the things that individual workers are craving to try and draw back. They feel out of control. They feel overwhelmed, as you've have you just talked about. And one of the best things you can do is give them back some of that control and it could be things like controlling you know where they work but actually that's not important as as when they work uh and and that's a lot of you know what we're trying to do uh, as we as we set up these new types of tools with technology so like like to look back
1: on the emotional piece in a little bit because i think that that emotional overload is, is a critical part of this mm. but if you think about Let's be ineffective. In a way, you can think, you know, two levels, individual and organization. So in this world where we have, you know, very, very complex, you know, organizations are never quite on top of where they're at. So if we think about, first of all, you know, if individuals can make a difference and organizations can make a difference. I suppose part of this idea of pushing it back to the, the autonomy to the individual, or control to the individual. So... How do you frame that in a way that those individuals use that well? Because you can give the control and the autonomy, and the flexibility to the individual, but if they are still overwhelmed emotionally or by information or or not knowing what to do, how can you make uh, uh, foster in them that ability to use that autonomy well?
0: It's, it's a great question. I think my own reflection is that uh i was i was really good at uh developing and building out my iq and uh it wasn't until i really came to salesforce sort of 15 years ago or so that i even knew that i needed to have emotional intelligence and that was something that i needed to use at work and you know i've been on a journey over that time to figure out what what's right for me or how i make sense of it uh, whether that's you know managing teams and all of the different emotions and relationships that are, that are part of teams or or whether it's you know my family and and thinking about you know their emotional health uh, through the day and through the week, I think we're just a lot more aware than we were in the past. I'm hopeful that this is not just my experience in high tech, but it's actually happening, you know, across across our communities. That. Uh, it's sort of like, I guess it used to be like you'd leave work and you'd you'd kind of have some sort of break and then you'd go back to your life. We talked about this work work life balance or whatever. Um, but if you're if you're coming away from work and you're an emotional wreck and you have nothing left to give to your family, which should be probably your number one concern of, of where that emotional energy goes, uh, then we're probably not doing our job uh, as as caretakers of, of of you as a worker. So, I I think it we we need to be careful of. Uh, developing the intellectual capacity of our workers, but now we actually have to we have to develop the emotional capacity. Uh, to your so that's an organizational responsibility. Your question was more about the individual. I think uh, in my my business, it's more thinking about you know leaders and managers and and how do they help. And I think uh, in the past, maybe there was maybe some you know shit flows downhill or whatever it was, like the bad stuff happens to the people on the bottom because the emotional pressure is put down. And I think the days of that have gone. we can't we can't really do that anymore. We have to be listening and empathetic and thinking about how those that work with us and for us are going to emotionally process. That means good change programs, it means listening, it means coaching rather than telling. And the days of you know using emotional pressure to produce productivity, I think that's what we're seeing with the great resignation. That workers are kind of rejecting that and saying, "Look, it's just not worth it. Like, I'd rather go and do something something else with my time."
1: So, so I mean, I, I do want to sort of keep on that theme, but and sort of trying to sort of dig into how that could be expressed. But I mean, maybe sort of diving straight to the coalface, as it were. Yeah, our interface to work, and so Slack is an interface for a lot of people to work, mm-hmm. and or I suppose they're they including all of their colleagues. So this is a, a an environment which can be. Perceived as overloaded. This, there's a lot of channels. There's a mm-hmm. lot of threads. There's a lot of things going on. And I think that uh, some people find Slack as distracting as Twitter and uh, going and there's various randomness of conversations. So for anybody with, let's say, a Slack or there's other, other uh, similar interfaces to work out there, so how, how do individuals use an interface like that Without being overwhelmed, well, how is it that they use Slack or something like Slack? Well,
0: yeah, it's a good question, and a couple of parts to your question. First is you know, this idea of noise and control, and how do you balance those things? And the second is uh, a humanistic approach to systems design, and how do you think about uh, non-rational responses and emotional responses? And what are we learning about systems that we can create to be less depressing, to be honest, and, and less unhuman or inhuman might be the right word. So let's get back to the first one. Uh, I hear this a lot from people where they're like, oh, you know, I feel, I feel like Slack is noisy. And I t- my response is like, remember the first time you used the internet? And you're like, wow, so much on here. Like I Google things and there's millions of results. How am I going to read all these? And you're like, well, that's not really how the internet works. Like it's a catalog. It's a searchable log of all of the information on the web. And uh, Slack stands for a searchable log of all communication and knowledge. Uh, That's the acronym. And it's about being able to discover. It's about uh, not only can you create conversations, but you can discover uh, serendipitously things that might be happening out in the space. Now that requires uh, some development in the way of working. So it's very important not to just throw a tool like Slack or anything else in there and expect employees to suddenly know how to use it because they've, they've lived with email for 20 years or whatever it was, and before that, other tools, letter writing, et cetera. And this is a different way of working. And one of the things that I love personally is the fact that every time I look at anybody's Slack instance, it looks different because they've tailored it just to them. And if you're using it well, you're using it intentionally. So, for example, I use the groupings on the left-hand side, and I have one that says, read first. And I have one that says above the fold and above the fold just means it's not urgent, but you know, I'd like it to stay above the fold, like not sort of disappearing off. And then most of my other, you know, 10,000 odd channels or whatever that I might be interested in, they're only there contextually when I need them. So I, I direct what I work on and I use Slack to move the things that are interesting to me right now to my focus and everything else I mute and turn off. Most of the stuff I have muted. So, I'm not interested in notifications so much. In systems design, we used to think that we were going to be really smart as system designers, myself included. We would work out the best thing that you could pay attention to. And we would surface that up to the top of your feed. And we would say to you, you know, call center, or if you're a knowledge worker, we'd say, this is what you need to pay attention to. Maybe even we would use these amazing things called algorithms that would be able to figure that out. And they would surface that to you and And say here is what you should pay attention to and work would be fantastic because you'd just be able to go through this prioritized list what we're finding is that's not really how it works and there's these non-rational elements uh and the way the brain works that that it's it's not really that interesting in fact if you work in any of these systems where you have prioritized cues a lot of the autonomy and joy that's taken out of self-direction is taken away and productivity actually starts to slow down and attrition starts to go up because I actually don't want to work in a world where someone tells me what to do every step of the day and you know, says what I should pay attention to. I, I want to explore uh, what my brain uh, is telling me is interesting because it you know it still has this amazing uh, humanistic capability to, to uncover information in ways that we don't really understand and can't replicate now. Uh, so my Slack is changes based on what i want to pay attention to right now and then i love like type in a search and then go wow suddenly i'm in this space where i'm learning about something and i have access to all the people and all of the information about the topic that i need right now i think that's where organizations are moving to and we talk about culture of learning and and the new way that you know maybe my my daughter's just about to enter the workforce and thinking about her skills so much she needs to know just in time And she needs to be able to develop things as she becomes aware of a need, uh, rather than potentially knowing three, 10 years in advance and doing a university degree, knowing all the things and then going off competent into the world. I'm not sure that was ever the case, but it's certainly not the case now. And so being able to do that in an environment where uh, work can be sort of tailored by the individual, they can discover the people that they need, the information that they need, and then make progress quickly. Uh, and then go back to whatever it is that we're, that we're doing next. That's that's kind of the noise and control thing. And it comes back to autonomy. Uh, and what's what's interesting is that people love it. Like they really love working this way once they learn how to do it, and then you'll take it out of their dying hands. They'll be grasping onto this thing because they really see the benefit in the huge increases in productivity. Coming back to the second part of your point, uh, one of the things with these new style of systems that's not immediately obvious is that, the humanistic design that was used to create them uh, does some really interesting things. So, for example, uh, Slack has an unlimited ability for you to tailor and create reactions. And that sounds, it's funny when you, I remember saying this like five years ago and thinking, well, let's try it. Like that's, that's just a gimmick that'll go away. Uh, but then it turns out when you let people express themselves in an infinite number of ways using moving visual means, suddenly all sorts of interesting possibilities pop up. So the way that I react is not with thumbs up, thumbs down, happy face, whatever the five different ways you can react on LinkedIn or whatever. Uh, it's an unlimited number of ways. And in fact, mine are tailored to me. So I have an emoji that was created for me on day day one called Derek Laney Wow. And if ever I do something cool, someone starts typing my name in the emotional reactions and they can choose my custom wow emoji. So like it's, it's me with like stardust happening behind my head, right? And someone does that and it's like, that is super cool. Like it's just, I just feel joy and I feel like I feel like they care about me I've, and like they didn't have to do anything. They just typed my name and like hit go. And, you know, I'm, I'm triggered. All this, you know, wonderful brain chemistry is then just, triggered in me to go, oh, wow, like, not only are you thankful, but you're thankful in an incredibly personal and, and unique way. And it's very similar in, you, in the way that you see people use gifts as a way to communicate. You know, gifts are really important in, in channels like Slack as well uh, because they allow you to express something in a humanistic way that you almost can't even define. Like, you know what the gift means, but also you couldn't describe it. And And then you do that in, like, a work context where you're trying to get work done. And it's, it's really bizarre. Like it makes work more fun. And and the surprising thing is it also makes it more productive because you have less misunderstandings due to the limited emotional range of like the thumb, right, which is the worst possible thing that was ever invented. And, <laughs> and instead you're, you're communicating more like what you do in life, like, you know, what we're doing now with our faces and our hands and, you know, there's all this nonverbal communication which is completely lost in digital media. And as soon as you start to bring that back and, you know, there's – we're early in this, but we're, you know, doing that through things like GIFs and reactions and all that sort of stuff. Um, you make digital communication more expressive and more of this subtlety and, and nuance and humanistic, you know, almost stuff that's hard to understand, you know, comes into it and, and people absolutely love it. They're more productive and they enjoy it more.
1: So, all right, let's let's uh, let's say you've got a senior executive. is dumped into a new role, extremely demanding, <laughs> He's shown uh, he's got an organization to run. His Slack is the interface. He's never used it before. He's worked out. He's been told how to use it, and he knows how to use it. What are your three tips for how to use Slack well to manage his uh, overload and in the information? What's, what's the approach? What, what are the tips?
0: Good scenario. I, I actually listened to something last night. I can't remember which podcast it was, but it was a new CEO of a very large organization, Best Buy. It was Best Buy, and the new CEO had, had come in and he was talking about some of the methods that he used when starting. And uh, I also, so I take inspiration from him. I take inspiration from our own. We have a few CEOs, they're all excellent. Uh, they collectively do many great jobs for us. Uh, you know, Stuart, our uh, CEO of Slack, I think about the way that he would respond to that and the way that you know this individual responded on this podcast. And the first thing I would say to them is be curious and open, pause the telling for as long as possible and hold off. If you can be curious longer and have a coaching mindset, then you'll be much more successful uh, with Slack. Uh, If you start to build a strategy and start to build out a hierarchy of how you're going to control the organization and start to figure out how you're going to flow information down, you're kind of missing the point. And I think most CEOs now know that very few CEOs think about command and control as the way to run an organization. They think about a coaching mindset. They think about how to discover. So for CEOs, in fact, CEOs are the ones who love this thing, right? Because they can search and find out what the front line's actually talking about, and they can dive into these conversations, learn, uh, and then be much more empathetic with what's ha- happening in their organization. Of course, they can't consume every conversation. Why would they? So they need to be intentional about their time. But in the same way that the undercover boss which is the Best Buy example, goes into the frontline store of Best Buy and starts asking people a few simple questions like, hey, what's working? You know, what's not working? Uh, how can we help you? Like those three questions, I think, was the ones that he talked about. He just went to every store and asked them that three questions for months. And, you know, that's that's the way that every CEO should start in a new business. And it's and Slack is just allowing you to do that digitally. So, you know, dive into a channel. Say, hey, great great to meet you all. What's working? What's not working? And, you know, how can I help? And I think that's very much uh, Stuart our CEO style as well. You know, he's he's renowned for popping into new hire meetings and just asking questions of the new hires and trying to figure out, you know, what he can do for them and what their impressions are. And and I think I think that's the new style of of CEO. I I, I think this idea that we're running an army and it's like a top down chain of command and we need to flow down, uh, we need to flow down the orders and then the troops will carry them out. And the more we can be, you know. Agile because we can move fast, but our orders need to be carried out super quick. You know, that's not the reality of how organizations work now. In that in that Best Buy example, uh, the value that he found was that the best practices were actually already existing. He didn't have to come up with them. That wasn't his job. His job was to have the empathy, to be there, to point out what was working and then to lift those things up and say, wow, if you guys looked over here, like this store has developed a custom responsive training module where they conduct individualized training for every frontline store employee based on that employee's strengths and weaknesses and needs uh, to coach them to be the best that they can be every day and this is one store that created this thing they're like wow this is awesome like we should roll this out to everyone and that's you know that's what they did and that's um you know part of you know, how they did the turnaround so i think it was on adam grant's podcast that's where it was you are listening to the thriving on overload podcast if you
1: truly want to increase your information productivity then check out the Thriving on Overload Interactive Course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. You mentioned earlier on serendipitous discovery in, in Slack and And I always point back to the, you know, the origin of the word serendipity, which suggests that it's not just pure accidents, it's things that you can engineer, you can help Ah. create. So how is it that you can make serendipity more, you know, more possible in, well, let's list more broadly around in organizational information interactions? How do you, how do you make those happy accidents more likely to happen?
0: I can tell you the number one way that you make serendipity. You need to get your pen ready. you got to write this down. And that is you do things in public. Uh, You do things in an open way. If you create private borders around things, like the smaller the borders are of where you communicate, it's actually pretty obvious, right? If you were to walk out into a public square, uh, stand on a box, I'm pretty sure that people did this at some point, stand on a box and like start to have an intellectual debate in open, like other people would notice and then they might be walking by and they might go, well, that's an interesting idea, but actually not. My idea is different. They might chime in and say something different. So I think, you know, speaker's corner is a, a good example of that. And it's no different in an organization. And unfortunately, uh, this creates, this is a lot of work, especially the bigger your organization gets, the harder it is to be open by default. Uh, if you're, if you're in a financially regulated organization, if you're in government, uh, you know, for very good reasons, we have, you know, uh, minimum disclosure or this idea of minimum control i'm getting that wrong but anyway it's the idea that as few people as possible should have access to information in order to keep it secure and that's a very useful tool for you know customer data privacy and other types of data privacy but in terms of serendipitous uh, discovery it's actually uh, very unhelpful and in fact it's uh, destructive because what happens is that the executive team has a private channel whether they're using slack or not and they only talk in that channel and unless you're in that conversation then you never are exposed to those ideas and also that executive has they they become an echo chamber like very very quickly the whole idea of an echo chamber is walls around a conversation where it echoes around so anytime you do that in email in slack in whatever tool it is you're going to create echo chambers and people are not going to be able to discover you know what it is that you're talking about so you, know, you can do simple stuff like have all hands calls where you share things with everybody you can do some of the things that you think are private conversations do them in public like are they really private are you discussing you know information that isn't just confidential I'm not talking about like trade secrets I'm talking about stuff that's it's company confidential so people within the company need to keep it you know to the company but that company might be 70,000 people like and it now, there's there's levels of of data management and control. So you need to be much more intentional about what really is, does need to be you know controlled, and there are different, there are definitely things that are, right. m and a and many different things need to be controlled. So you need to have good controls for that. but you you need to work with your risk and compliance folks to do that intentionally and say we're going to we're going to put controls in where we need them, where we don't need them. We're going to be open by default. And if we're in a regulated organisation, we'll use e-discovery tools. To figure out if we've gone wrong and then we'll do postmortems to to figure out what controls can be improved but we won't just try and keep everything secret regardless of if it's like what we're having for lunch yeah. or or it's whatever the old, the
1: old thing is uh be open by
0: default rather than closed by default and it's easy for a high-tech organization to say that but like you know we also manage very very we we manage customer data we manage uh Trade secrets. We manage all sorts of very, very sensitive data, and we've worked out processes yeah. where we can keep those things uh, safe. Yeah.
1: Well, you need yeah. The whole yeah. thing is, you yeah, know, there's a mentality of saying, well, rather than you keep it closed, and we'll only open it if there's a good reason to, you keep it open unless there's extremely good reason not to.
0: Yeah, right. And then, and then, of course, you need like it has to be searchable. If people can't actually find it, like if, yes. it's, if it's locked in an email inbox, even if that email inbox is on the internet. Uh, you know, they've got to figure out how to find it. That makes all the
1: sense in the world. But uh, just coming back to an individual, I think you mentioned uh, a 10,000 channel, it's like a while ago. So you've got some things you've got to focus on. You've got your day job, you know, you've got some things you have to look at. You've got an open mind, you've got to look around. So how do you, you know, maximize the chances of serendipity across 10,000 channels when you've still got lots of things to get on with uh, by the end of the day?
0: Yeah, it's a good point. And, And in my world, I try and balance focus time and discovery time. So my style, I don't know, it's different for everyone. What we've discovered at Slack, we know through research into this, we research about 10,000 individuals every quarter. We have a group called the Future Forum that publishes that study. Um, But we're finding is that everyone is different and that they need to create their own style of work. In fact, that's the key for unlocking productivity. So I'm going to tell you what mine is, but I don't know if this is correct for everyone. I tend to be open and curious at the start of the day. And as the day progresses, I become more and more focused onto the top list of things that I wrote down at the beginning of the day that I need to get done. And so I start to close off things. I close down windows. I close off channels. Uh, heaven forbid, I may even close Slack at at some point because you know I might be writing something and I and I need to be focused on completing that task. So there there are times in my day where I'm where I'm closing and I'm completing and I'm like getting prepared for Ross's, uh, podcast for the next day or whatever. And I need need to be sort of focused. Um, but even in those times, I find I'm more productive when I can reserve some time for myself. And I, I would think of this as, as selfish time. Uh, and I, and I might just pop out and, you know, slot in like 15 minutes where I can just listen to something on a podcast just to refresh myself because I need, I need that for my energy if i'm not doing that if i'm not allowing my brain to follow some tangents i become very very recalcitrant and unproductive like i am the world's best person at completing my second priority like i just write my priorities one to five and normally i'll get two and five You done. got a lot of competition yeah i'll normally get two and five done number one never gets done right like it's like i'm the worst at procrastinating the number one priority and hopefully next day something else more important will come up and then it'll move to number two and then i'll probably get it done so I, I wouldn't say I'm the best at like intentional, like getting things done in the order. My brain seems to, seems to enjoy, doing the thing that isn't the priority. And I and I,
1: you're not the only one in the world, Derek.
0: Yeah, like it's I, I, I now i am just kind of given into it, and I'm like I just trying to come up with something else that's more important, and then I put that further, and then suddenly I can do the thing that's number two because like my brain has some pressure taken off or or, or whatever it is. So I feel like that's it. That's a little bit of it for me. The other thing is uh, because you're working as much as possible in threads, there are other people who can provide stimulus. So if you are working on a piece of work and uh, even though I'm focused, I'm working in a way that's more public. So I'm using collaborative documents. I'm, I'm posting updates. I'm posting little clips to try and uh, put it out there and get some feedback as I go rather than maybe in the past I waited till I was finished and I had this beautiful wrapped up. You know, never to be changed piece that I would release onto the internet. You might call it a published book. I, I imagine is some, somewhat like that. But before you can have the published book, you know, you've got to test it. You've got to like riff it on podcasts. You've got to do all this sort of experimentation and and reflection. And I think that's where a lot of the serendipity comes from. It's like you expose some of these ideas to stimulus, and uh, and things come back. And and you can kind. Of, I find I need to follow the tangents. I need to kind of play out. What that means sometimes they're dead ends and sometimes there's absolute gems and like in my most stressful moments you know just before i have a deadline a little tangent pops up and i'm like i really shouldn't pay attention to that but it just keeps on coming into my view and then i go look at it i'm like whoa this is cool and then suddenly i've got some really cool interesting uh story to put into whatever i'm doing
1: yeah that's 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 the balance. I mean, they' always that's that's one of the wonderful balances we need to tread is between the focus and the breadth and uh, finding, as you say, in terms of how you do that in your schedules or how you essentially you know have a you know able to, I suppose have a higher view on your on your consciousness so that you can push it out or pull it in. As is appropriate. And sometimes it's not obvious.
0: You know, the other thing that's weird that I've always, I must be other people as well, but I'll share with you because now you're an expert. You might be able to tell me if this is just me. Uh, the busier I get, the more I find I need to take up new hobbies. Like this has always been true for me. I've I learned this very early in my career. So a super stressful. Like the biggest uh, software implementation of my career uh, was at you know, extremely large beverage. Menu. I was at Coca-Cola. Basically. I was implementing a massive system for Coca-Cola. It was like this. It was a death march. It was like a back in the old days before Agile. It was six-month death march. We had to build this system, and I was so stressed. And it was it was at that time that I took up unicycling you know, and juggling because I was like, I am so stressed. I need something. I need an outlet. And I felt guilty at the time, like spending time in these. You know, selfish pursuits when I had deadlines, and I always felt guilt on all these things that I was doing that were maybe taking away from what I was doing. But I've kind of since learned that, yeah, the more stressful I get, the more, uh, the more important the thing is that I need to do. That's the time when I need to pick up something new that's completely unrelated, and and that that keeps me fresh and it it actually makes me better at whatever I'm doing.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And the way, the way I frame it, uh, in the book is regenerating. There is a, of of the, you know, different attention modes we have regenerating is one of the most critical and there's, uh, without regenerating, we, uh, we, we can't have attention. So whatever that may be, whether it's, uh, you know, going for walks, being in the ocean, uh, you know, hanging out with a, you know, partner or or juggling or whatever it may be, that is a re, that is regenerating attention. And if you can't, don't regenerate your attention, yeah, you, it's going to run out.
0: Yeah, right. It's counterintuitive that that would be a learning thing though, that like I'm overwhelmed having to learn something. I'm going to go learn something else to free up, like, regenerate. Like it's counterintuitive that that's the thing that regenerates for me but well, I Well I think well
1: particularly in the case of juggling for example those uh, using different parts of the brain you know you're crudely a lot more uh right brain than uh left brain right <laughs> it's so uh, you know that that is very you know I think juggling is a fantastic example in fact of something right. which really would Sort of re rewire your brain and this expansive awareness. It, it, you need expansive awareness for juggling, as you do for appreciating uh, an extraordinary natural vista. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. breadth is yeah. that part of what enables you to then focus the narrow, which is then running the software project, for example.
0: Yeah, right. So oh, very good. Thank you for the thank you for the insight.
1: So, just to round out, any tips or recommendations for anyone who is uh, sitting in an office job, overwhelmed with uh, information and too much going on? What any other thing to complement what we've already discussed to uh, suggest they do?
0: I can talk about this all day. I'll give I'll give you a couple. I, let me just give you my quick, quick few things that I do. Uh, I use I use a, a, a document uh, hierarchy for my for my notes taking. I have done since university. Uh, so I I create a document for anything that I'm working on. I'm not planning to share it with anyone. It's it's kind of just my my ideas. For me, the thing that makes sense for me is like indenting. Like I have like these crazy indentations, which are essentially just a big big hierarchy of text um, that I use to to formulate my ideas. And I push things up and down around the document uh, as I'm learning things to organize it. Strangely, I very rarely go back and read them. It's mostly it's mostly the creation of them that helps me you know, make sense. I also, at Salesforce, we have this bizarre culture where 30% of the employees at any point in time are building slides like that. And I used to think this was unproductive. And at some point we tried to get away from it. We're like, let's stop building slides. We're wasting a lot of time. But what we're I think we were doing is like trying to tell the idea to somebody else in a visual form. And that leads to a new level of understanding because it's easy to write, uh, you know, paragraphs on something, but to try and put it on a simple visual that you can express uh, is, is, a, is a good way of, you know, clarifying. So we use that a lot. Uh, we also use threads. So uh, we I'm working with someone, I'm normally not working them, with them on one idea. We're usually working on five ideas. So I, even if I'm in a direct ma- messaging channel, I might have five active threads with five different conversations that are threaded. So that when we're talking, just like we kind of not like in conversation. It's actually better than conversation. I can simultaneously talk with you in an, in, in an asynchronous way on multiple different topics and progress those different topics. And that needs to happen at the same time. They could happen at different times. Uh, and it's okay. You don't have to stay on one, one topic at, at one time. You can talk on multiple things. You just have to use threads. Uh, so whether that's LinkedIn or whether it's Slack or whatever else you're using, I think using threads in a very intentional way is a Big productivity unlock. And then, of course, you can have different people with access to those threads. Now, the other thing that I do, I do a lot of rubber duck debugging, uh, which is an old software development tool, which is like software developers used to have a rubber duck on their computer. And then, if they were really stuck, they would try and explain to the duck what the problem was. And the solution would emerge because the process of teaching and telling helps you understand and helps and your brain uses a different way to tell than it does to listen. So if you can start teaching as soon as possible, whatever it is you're trying to learn to anybody who listen, if no one will listen, just tell it to a rubber duck. I think that's hugely important. I, I use that a lot. So uh, there are a couple of a little tips for you.
1: That's fantastic. I mean, I, I very much believe in learning by teaching and that's sort of a uh, in the book as well, but uh, I wasn't aware of and I will now take up the practice of teaching rubber ducks. <laughs>
0: Only a few humans won't listen, which is my family. At some point, they're like, okay, I've had enough of your presentations. Like, I I, I can't listen to another one of your presentations.
1: Thanks so much for your time and your insights, Derek. It's uh, been a fantastic conversation.
0: Thank you, Ross. Wonderful to talk to you again.
1: Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.